The periodical podcast recognises Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first people of this place known as Australia. We recognise the Yagara and Turbal people as the traditional custodians of the land where we record today and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. We also acknowledge that the themes covered in the periodical podcast, including menstrual and maternal health outcomes, disproportionately impact First Nations women. This podcast is brought to you by Hey Al Productions. Hello and welcome back to the Periodical Pod. We are so excited to have you here with us today. My name is Alex. I am one of your co-hosts. I'm also a podcast producer, a freelance feature writer and a mum of three. And I'm Michelle. I'm a huge advocate for women's health and I have the privilege of working with women every single day at my clinic over acupuncture and Chinese medicine. And I'm also a dog mum and an auntie to nine beautiful nieces and nephews. As the lived experience half of this podcast, I have to say I'm getting so much out of these episodes. Every recording, I come away having learned so much and I cannot tell you how many people I have had reach out to me and say, I wish I had a periodical pod when I was young. And that is so nice to hear because it is exactly why we are doing this show. As you know, if you've listened before, Michelle and I have partnered to make a women's health podcast that's packed full of the topics that we all should have been taught, but never were. We're your big sisters for periods and we're diving deep into until now taboo topics such as periods, hormones, mental health, fertility, sex, menopause, and the entire spectrum of women's health. In this podcast, there's no such thing as too much information. We're not holding anything back and we're covering the topics that you might be too embarrassed to talk about. Expect epic guests, including experts in women's health and people with lived experience. We want to empower women with education and create an opportunity to share real life stories that will make you laugh and cry. So today, Michelle is going to be sharing some super practical information on how you can potentially optimize some common symptoms and hopefully these lifestyle changes can support you to live with a greater sense of flow when it comes to your period. So I'm super excited about this topic, but before we get into it, we have a little good news story to share with you. So Al, you know how much I love it when we see period talk appear in the media. And this week, the WNBL, which is the Women's NBL League here in Australia, have their fighting period poverty round. So this round is dedicated to bringing awareness and helping women who are forced to go without period products. So the WNBL essentially partnered with the clothing brand Booty and they like similarly when a lot of like the AFL leagues, they'll have like their round where they'll have specific charities or foundations that they're supporting. So this was all about period poverty. So they had socks for sale that were bloody good socks. We'll have to find them and put them in the show notes. But what I loved most about it was one of the captains of the, one of the NBL teams spoke about just how important initiatives like this are. And so she said, we shouldn't feel embarrassed by our periods. This is Beck Cole. She's captain of the Southside Flyers. And she said, the more we speak about it, the more comfortable it'll be. It's also so important that our male colleagues are open to talking about it too, and feel comfortable lending a hand if something happens to one of the girls on the team when she's on her cycle, for example, elite. Uh, I do think we're on the right track with breaking down those barriers. And when I was reading this article, I was like, oh my God, well, number one, we need to get Beck Cole on the podcast. 100%, yes. (laughs) And how awesome is it that we're seeing this in like national media, talking about periods, talking about 
how accessibility to period products is such a big issue and also talking about like the importance of breaking down barriers when it comes to the menstrual cycle. Yeah. And this is so, it's so interesting because this whole thing reminds me of this story that came out in 2022. So Lydia Ko, she's a golfer Uh from New Zealand and she was praised for normalizing the impact of periods in sport as well. So a male interviewer was left speechless after like chatting to her. So she was having some physio work done and he said, is this like a long-standing injury, something you're dealing with. And she goes, God, I hope not because it's that time of the month. And he was just like so shocked, but she went on to say, I know the ladies watching are going to be like, yeah, I got you, which I love. (laughs) Uh, So she said when she gets her period, her back gets really tight and all twisted, like often, you know, while she's playing and it's not the first time that it happened at that round, but the, she said that her physio's seen her twisted before, um, but that she always feels a lot better after she sees him. And then the male reporter was like so shocked. Literally all he said was, uh, uh, thanks. And she, she was like, I know you let, she goes, I know you're at a loss for words, Jerry, but you know, honestly, that's what it is. That so, is so awkward. Yeah. And I guess that's what Beck Cole's talking about. Yes. Normalizing all of this for everyone, but especially like the males in the industry. Totally. A hundred percent. And we, we often talk about like how we can influence, you know, the younger generations. And I think, you know, you're a mum of boys, normalizing periods for young boys is just as important as normalizing periods for young girls. Yeah, absolutely. And like one of the questions in our periods anon mm. was well, from Kev, you know, what to do if someone has yeah. a leak in public, like how you should approach that. And I feel like that is so important for like male coaches to understand what they should do when that happens. Yeah. And this idea that, you know, we've spoken about it before that periods are gross or disgusting and need to be silenced. Like what if you're talking to someone and they all of a sudden have a bloody nose Yeah, and like a little trickle, like you'd be like, Oh my God, you've got, are you like, are you okay? You've got a blood nose. And it would just be a thing because it's just a physiological thing right that humans do like we all have blood noses <laughs> yeah occasionally yeah we all get a period you know it doesn't have to be this like silenced taboo thing yeah. where everyone's like hee hee like I've got my period it's like right. yeah like pretty much half the world will menstruate at yep. some time yep. so I love it I, I love, love it seeing too. this stuff in the media yep So we've done a few episodes now on period symptoms and talking about what's normal and not normal about the period. But in today's episode, we really wanted to leave you with some tangible tips and advice on how to optimize your menstrual cycle. And I do truly believe that at the root of all of this lays the foundation of tracking your cycle and understanding what each phase of the cycle means physiologically so that you can then set yourself up for success when it comes to your menstrual cycle. And in my clinical practice, and I think just like in my general day-to-day life, I'm all about setting ourselves up for success and not being taught about the menstrual cycle is like being given a piece of Ikea furniture without the instruction manual, you know, like it's going to be a total shit show, (laughs) you know, so learning about the cycle and then tuning into your experience of the cycle. So understanding what's happening on a physiological level and then tuning into what's happening on your cycle and then layering those two experiences, I think that's when you can get or become hopefully really empowered in your menstrual cycle and in your body. Yeah. So 
The first step, I think, to overcoming period symptoms is really to begin listening to your body and tending to her at each different phase of the cycle accordingly. So we understand that we need to tend to our gardens seasonally, and we've already spoken about the four seasons of the cycle. So I think we need to learn to tend to ourselves seasonally when we look at the menstrual cycle, because we live in a patriarchal society where the world around us is realistically created for men. It's created for the 24 hour cycle that men have. It's not created for the ebbs and flows of the female reproductive cycle. So when we as individuals start to tune in and listen to our body, our cycle, and then we can layer that with our understanding of what's actually going on in the body or what should be happening in the body. I think that's like the secret of success when it comes to your menstrual cycle. Mm. I love that. And I love taking that like really individual approach because, you know, like you always say, like everyone is different. Not everyone has that 28 day cycle. So there's no one set thing that's going to work for everyone. Totally. Yeah. So how about we start with the real basics with like heavy bleeding? Because I know that's something that I experience and that a lot of my friends experience. You hear that like changing a tampon every hour and you know, having to wear period undies as a backup. So let's start there. Yeah, that's, it's honestly so common. And I think heavy bleeding is something that can show up seasonally in people's lives. Like postpartum is a season where a lot of people experience heavy bleeding. Perimenopause can be another season where someone's period changes and the bleeding becomes heavier. So like I always say, I always want to rule out any red flags. I think I'm quite conservative as a clinician and I would always encourage people that do experience heavy bleeding to go to their GP, tell your GP that you're experiencing heavy bleeding. And this is In my opinion, if you're changing a regular tampon less than every two hours, then that is becoming too heavy. So if you are experiencing heavy bleeding, I would want you to see your GP and rule out any red flags like fibroids, polyps, endometrial hyperplasia, endometrial cancer, adenomyosis. Those are the red flags that we want to look for with really heavy bleeding. And then if we rule out anything that's untoward, then we want to look at some other things like potentially getting blood tests run to see if there's low iron picture there. And then as I say, in most episodes, we'd also want to zoom out and understand if there's any other symptoms that someone's experiencing alongside heavy bleeding. So if you're having heavy bleeding alongside exhaustion, alongside mood changes, potentially anxiety, things like that, then you'd be wanting to run like a full blood count and working with your doctor or your health practitioner to ensure that they're getting like the full picture when it comes to your health. Once we've ruled out sort of all of those red flags and we know that you are experiencing heavy bleeding, you've had all the tests and you've been told that everything's fine. But when you have your period, you're still exactly as you said, Al, like having to change your tampon every hour. You're having to wear period undies as a backup. You know, I have friends that can only drive a certain distance because they know that their tampon won't last that long. Mm. So they will map their drive so that they can drive somewhere, stop, do a product change and then keep going. So if you're experiencing heavy bleeding, that you're changing your tampon or pad or product every two hours or less. Yeah. In my opinion, that's that's too heavy and it can become like a snake eating its tail because if you're experiencing heavy bleeding, that may be caused to something like low iron 
and then you're losing all this blood at your period. Yeah. It's contributing. So then it's just like this cycle. Yeah. And there's a lot we can do to potentially optimize that. But I really, really, really want to emphasize that what I'm about to share is for people that have ruled out red flags, yeah. that have crossed their T's, dotted their I's, gone to the doctor, ruled out anything untoward and they're experiencing heavy bleeding that might be associated from more like lifestyle things yeah. rather than a medical condition. Yeah. We mentioned the different seasons of life where heavy bleeding might be more pronounced. And so the most common one that I see in clinic is heavy bleeding postpartum. Yeah. And I'm sure like you have a lot of mum friends, like I'm sure this is a common thing. Very so, common. Yeah. yeah. So you might've had always had just like normal, regular periods. And then after giving birth, your period returns and it's a lot heavier than it was before. And I always recommend people have like a couple of periods postpartum because it could just be your body figuring things out after birth. You know, there's so much change that happens physiologically, but if it becomes a pattern of heavy bleeding and big clots and things like that, then I would absolutely start to look into it. In the postpartum period, I always encourage people to get blood tests run six weeks postpartum. Again, just to rule out anything that might be going on that hasn't been picked up. We're so focused on baby that we rarely tune into, you know, the mum's body. So if you are in that postpartum period and you're experiencing heavy bleeding, obviously I'd recommend you see your GP, but some of the things that I'm going to share soon will also be relevant to you. And then another season that I see heavy bleeding occur in is perimenopause. And so again, you might've had normal periods your whole life. And then sort of from that 40 plus age, you start to notice that your periods are becoming a lot heavier than they were. And that's essentially due to the change in your hormones. And so you might have some periods that are totally normal, and then you might have a really heavy period, and then it might go back to being normal. And that changing sort of nature is a good indicator that you might be in that peri-peri season. And that's commonly because if there's like an increase of estrogen, so we think menopause where like have no estrogen during the perimenopause years, the hormones are actually quite, they change quite a lot. So you could have a picture of estrogen dominance, which could be affecting your heavy bleeding. And then we haven't mentioned endometriosis, but that's often associated with heavy bleeding as well. But We won't go into details about that today. Because we are going to do a whole endometriosis episode. I imagine we'll probably do a few endometriosis episodes. On the heavy bleeding postpartum, uh, it's really interesting that you say that because I do have a friend that has a one-year-old now and it's been an issue for her. She never had heavy periods before, but so that's carried on now for a year. So Mm. now she's probably at the stage where you would recommend that she goes and sees someone because that's definitely Yeah, I'd say six months is too long. Yeah. And it's something that can often shift pretty quickly. So first step for someone like that would be going to their GP, asking for a full blood count, asking um, for hormone check and things like that. And then using the results from that path to see if there's any um, supplementation that's required. Again, I always come back to Chinese medicine. I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner. They might find Chinese medicine or acupuncture or herbs supportive for that symptom. But yeah, it's definitely something that I'd be looking into if you're six months postpartum and still experiencing really, really heavy bleeding. Yeah. She's probably also exhausted. She is probably also sleep deprived. Yeah. She's probably also got a little bit of anxiety going on. Like the whole picture starts to get painted. Yeah. And then I'd be looking for extra support. And some of the things that I'm about to share will be super, super relevant for that person. Okay, cool. 
So let's get straight into it. These are some of the things that I talk about all day, every day in my clinic. The first one is bone broth. In Chinese medicine, we like everything to be warm. We like everything to be super, super nourishing for the kidneys. And bone broth is one of those Chinese medicine go-to things that I wish everybody drank bone broth every single day. It's rich in collagen. It's great for your gut. And from a Chinese medicine perspective, it builds blood. So we'll hear me talk about blood a lot in this podcast (laughs) and Chinese medicine sees blood a little bit differently to Western medicine. And so someone can be blood deficient in Chinese medicine and they might have totally normal bloods. If we did like an iron studies blood test on them or looked at a full blood count, that might come back totally normal. But from a Chinese medicine diagnostic perspective, they might be blood deficient. Yeah. And we see that in postpartum women, right? Like birth is the most blood depleting thing that we can do. Yeah. And particularly if you've lost a lot of blood in birth, then we really need to be diligent about rebuilding and restoring your levels of blood. So we do that by eating blood nourishing food. So that's like barley and beetroot and slow cooked meats and really like nourishing food. Yeah. I tell my patients like, you know, if you think of like a winter's meal that just makes you feel so good, like you eat it and you're like, oh, that was so good. (laughs) I could eat it again. Like you feel so nourished. That's generally what you want to be eating from a Chinese medicine perspective. The easy way to get that in your day-to-day diet is by drinking bone broth and you can pop to an organic store and buy in Australia. We've got Jevity, we've got Best of the Bone Broth. They're really, really good brands and you can keep the jar in your fridge and then you just make it like a cup of soup um, to have in the afternoon. So that's my first tip, bone broth every day. Everyone should be drinking it, obviously, except if it goes against your values, if you're a vegetarian or vegan. The second tip is also not good for our veggie mates, but that's beef liver capsules. Beef liver has like had a moment on social media lately and it's a bit cringy because there's like a lot of... um, like really buff like (laughs) tech bros that are like talking about beef liver and I'm like oh (laughs) this isn't for you (laughs) yes exactly so um but beef liver has been something that I prescribe to my patients for years now I've probably been taking it for like five or six years when you look back to what previous generations would eat they would eat the whole animal when it comes to cooking right in fact I found in my mum's kitchen this like old, old, old Reader's Digest cookbook. Yeah. And I was like flicking through it and it's all liver. Yeah. All liver recipes. And yeah. I asked mum and she's like, yeah, we ate liver all the time. Yeah. It is so nutrient dense. Yeah. It's an amazing source of iron. Yeah. It's got so many good cofactors for the absorption of iron. Yeah. So it's something that I really, really like to share with my patients and it's easy for you to buy online. We can include some brands in the show notes that people can pick up here in Australia. Yeah. It's a really easy way to nourish and support your blood. Yeah. So my nan makes this incredible steak and kidney casserole with these like puff pastry ball things that you open up and you put the steak and kidney in. Yum. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, I can't have that at the moment, but whatever. But sometimes I just crave a steak and kidney pie. Yeah. And I hear it all the time. People come into the clinic and they're like, oh, I haven't eaten meat for so long. And I was just craving a steak. Yeah. You know, when I had my baby, all I wanted to eat was steak. And you hear that a lot. And it is literally your body telling you, communicating to you what it needs. Yeah. When I was pregnant with Sol, one day, and this happened quite a bit, 
I, and I hadn't really eaten that much meat before falling pregnant. One day I was sitting on the couch. I said to Kev, I need a lamb chop. And it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. He's like, oh, okay, we can have them for dinner. I'm like, no, no, I need a lamb chop right now or I'm going to die. <laughs> he's literally had to go to the shop at like three o'clock in the afternoon and buy four lamb chops. And I cooked them and I ate them oh and gosh. I had to do that. Like, I just had to have lamb chops in the fridge I because I needed them. Yeah, it is. It's like, you know, I think about this a lot babies and small children are so good about communicating their needs. Yes. And as we get older, I think we become less uh, adept at communicating our needs. Yeah. And that's why I advocate listening to your body so much because I do truly believe that our body is communicating to us what we need. Yeah. It's just up to us whether to listen to it or not. So go you. You're like, give me the lamb <laughs> chop <me>. yesterday. <laughs> so the next one is hot foot soaks. In Chinese medicine, we we love hot foot soaks for like everything, <laughs> but this will be really, really good at nourishing your kidney channel. So you will hear me say kidneys and liver and spleen. These are all constant in Chinese medicine and they're not equal to say the organs in a Western medicine perspective. So in Chinese medicine, your organs have partner organs and they've also got emotions related to them. So like the kidney is associated with wisdom, the spleen and the stomach are associated more with like anxiety and overthinking. (laughs) So it's like the whole idea, like we digest our food with our spleen and stomach and we also digest our thoughts with our spleen and stomach. But the hot foot soaks are really, really good at nourishing your kidney channel. And so you want to essentially fill up a bucket of water. So there's hot water in it and it goes all the way up to halfway up your leg. This is such an amazing self-care tool. Everyone should be talking about it. Everybody should be doing it. You can add magnesium flakes at the clinic. We sell um, herbs to put in it, but just sticking your feet in a bucket of water is so, so good. And I'm not saying that if you've got like extreme heavy bleeding and you start soaking your feet in water every day, (laughs) that it's all of a sudden going to go away. But I think by introducing more practices in your day-to-day life that are going to be supportive of your health from a Chinese medicine perspective in any case, the accumulation of those practices will hopefully lead to better period symptoms. Yeah. Those are super easy things you can do too. Yeah. I love that. Very achievable. A cup um, of warm bone broth in the afternoon while you soak your feet. Yeah. Amazing. That's That's literally the Chinese medicine dream. If all my patients did that, I would be so happy. (laughs) And then the last thing that I recommend for people that do have heavy bleeding, if you are open to acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine, and it's something that you want to look into, I recommend my patients that do have heavy bleeding book in for their appointment about a week before their bleed because we want to support your body in that time to hold on to the blood. I didn't really go into the way that we see heavy bleeding in Chinese medicine, but oftentimes I use this analogy with my patients is we hold the blood in our body all month long. Yeah. And if you're holding too much when it comes to your period and your body all of a sudden has permission to let go of the blood. Yeah. It's just like, oh, thank God. Yeah. You know, it's like we pile on all of these tasks. We hold so much as women, you know, we carry the household labor, depending on your domestic situation. We're often the backbone of our communities in terms of like relationships and friendships and, you know, the mental load, the mental load, you know, all of the things. And so think about all of that stuff that you're holding on to and then your menstruation arrives and it's an opportunity to let go. Yeah. And your body's like, 
hell yeah, we're yeah. letting go. And yeah. it's like all that blood gets dumped. So in Chinese medicine, we're all about efficiency and ensuring that the body is well resourced and ensuring that blood is going where it should be going. So if you're losing too much blood, the most common thing that I see clinically is exhaustion. Yes. And so we really, really need to work on nourishing the body and these practices, the bone broth, the beef liver, the hot foot soaks, the acupuncture, these are all nourishing practices. They're giving to the body when so often we're sharing everything with other people that we don't often have much left for ourselves. Yeah. I love that analogy. Yeah. And to me, I I feel like it's like when you are like just suppressing all your emotions and then you have a really big cry and it makes you feel better. Yes. I'm so glad that you talked about having that great release because it ties in so great about our next topic, which is PMS. So I'm very eager to talk about PMS. I don't know about you, but growing up, PMS was always portrayed so negatively in the media. There was a very stereotypical narrative that we were always fed. So women were irrational, emotional, crazy before their period. So then when I got my period and then into my like early 20s, I really like pushed against that stereotype and I didn't want to be thought of as, you know, that like silly woman that was kind of portrayed on TV and in the movies. So I really ignored all of those PMS type symptoms in the lead up to my period. And I kind of like gaslighted myself into being okay. So can you explain like what is PMS? What is kind of like normal when it comes to PMS and how can people navigate it if it is something they're finding is really impacting them? Oh my God. I love that you shared that because I think that's really that kind of patriarchy dressed up as feminism. Yes. (laughs) You know, when we're, we're like, well, we, we are women and we should be equal to men. And therefore I'm not going to let my period be an annoying thing that stands in the way between me and whatever, reaching my goals. Yeah. That is us conforming to the patriarchal society, right? Yeah. And so I love that you shared that because it's an experience that I relate to. I was definitely like that in my early twenties. And now it's more, I take the approach of, well, I have this cycle. It's my superpower. It means that during my menstrual cycle, I'll be at different energetic levels at different times of the month. I'll be at different emotional levels at different times of the month. So how can I play into that and how can I use that to my advantage and actually live in harmony and in flow with those cyclical changes instead of just silencing them and just pretending to be, you know, a, a good woman in the man's world. Yeah. I saw a meme the other day that said, I think it was like missing perspective. And it said, we need to stop saying like, I can do whatever a man can do and women can do whatever men do because men are not the golden standard. Like it should be, I want to do whatever I'm capable of doing. Yes, absolutely. We're all capable of the same thing. Yes, exactly. So PMS, what is normal? Look, it affects so many people. And I try to encourage my patients to set themselves up for success when it comes to PMS. If you are feeling PMS symptoms that are quite pronounced, if you are experiencing PMS symptoms like extreme mood changes and potentially, you know, suicidal ideation and things like that, really serious mental health shifts in your period, and you notice those shifts, particularly from ovulation until your period, mm-hmm. 
I would 1000% be booking in with your GP and asking for further advice and steps towards diagnosis of PMDD. Yeah. And we can talk about that in another episode, but I really want to differentiate that what we're talking about here is PMS, definitely not PMDD. And PMS would be sort of a week before your period feeling a little bit more irritable than normal. Sometimes people will like be a little bit more teary than normal, a little less patience and things like that. Some people have other PMS symptoms like headaches or nausea and and things like that. We're going to be more sticking towards the irritability side of things, but absolutely do not gaslight yourself into thinking that, you know, you can just push those symptoms of PMS aside because it could be an indicator of something else going on. And on the other side of finding out what's going on could be medication that's going to help you or, you know, lifestyle practices to support you. So I I really encourage people to investigate it if they are feeling those severe mood changes, especially if it's after ovulation and before the period. So yeah, PMS affects so many people, right? And if you know when your PMS sets in, then I encourage my patients to adjust their load accordingly. Yeah. So if you are in a shared household, if you have a partner, if you have kids, if they're your husband, whatever your situation is, if you know that say a week before your period, you're going to be low energy. You are going to be less able to juggle as many balls that you juggle throughout the month. I encourage people to communicate that to the people in their household. And if you know, for example, that in your ovulation week, you can juggle like 20 balls, (laughs) you know, and the week before your period, you might only be able to juggle five. So in that ovulation week, you say to the people that you live with, hey, I'm going to be feeling at my peak this week. I've got so much capacity. Why don't I cook dinner for four nights this week? I'll do the school drop-offs, whatever it is. And then those few days before my period, I really, really need you to take the load. Yeah. And that's when I need you to step up and your capacity can be extended. Yeah. And that's why I think like talking about your period in the household and particularly with a partner, if you have a partner, is going to set you up for success because you can then shift household load to suit where you're at in your menstrual cycle. Yeah. And that's just like very good advice, like relationship wise as well, because if you're super irritable and getting really annoyed, then they know it's not necessarily them as well. That's like ticking you off so much. It's just that you have a shorter fuse. Yeah. So if you are somebody that feels like quite irritable and bound up in the lead up to your period, then I really encourage my patients to find an activity that allows them to fully express themselves. Mm -hmm. So in Chinese medicine, we see PMS as a liver chi stagnation pattern and things that will cause your liver chi. So this is like the energy in your liver channel to stagnate like stress, (laughs) alcohol, coffee, and not actually being able to express yourself or be creative is something that can really, really bound up the liver channel. Yeah. And so when I have people that are feeling really irritable and bound up during that PMS time, I encourage them to find something that they like to do that will allow them to express themselves or to be creative. Yeah. So that could be booking in like pottery or painting class, going to a dance class, 
doing those kinds of things. Doing like, like hit training. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Like that movement is yeah. what you need to like really, really get that energy flowing again because it makes sense. If you're all bound up and like, yeah. you know, when you're pissed off, you're just like, yes. and you do, <laughs> draw everything in. Yeah. You want to do some kind of movement or activity that's going to allow you to feel more expansive. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to go to a dance class every single Monday night, it means you can plan one for that week that you know that you might be in that sort of PMS phase. Yeah. Oh, and another, (laughs) this is quite funny, but genuinely something that I recommend to people all the time is finding an empty street, a quiet street, parking the car and just screaming (laughs) really loudly. I love this. Um, If you ever see someone doing that at White's Hill, it'll probably be one of my patients because (laughs) it's like two minutes from the clinic and I'm like, okay, just drive up to White's Hill. I want you to park the car and just scream. I feel like like I've heard people screaming (laughs) like when I've been there. Really? You just got to let it out, like let it out because oftentimes we feel so frustrated and if we don't allow that frustration to literally get out of the body, then we just, we remain so bound up and that can just further contribute to that irritability in the lead up to the period. Or I, I so before I got my period last week, like literally the day before we recorded, I got so annoyed because there was so much stuff on the floor and I like kicked some Lego not in front of the kids, but very aggressively. I was like, Ugh! and I kicked it out of my way against the yeah. wall. And I was like, oh shit, now I have to put that back together before they go home. <laughs> Did you feel better? I felt so much better. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So we see this in animals, right? Like if you ever see a dog that has some kind of trauma, it shakes straight after. Yeah. And so that movement, that literal freeing the feeling from the body is so, so important. And like I said, like it's a huge contributor to PMS from a Chinese medicine perspective. So we want to ensure that we're allowing ourselves to be fully expressed, that we're leaning into our creative endeavors and that if we are feeling really, really irritable before the period, that you're booking in those activities that will help you um, feel better during that time. But of course, if you're feeling symptoms that seem a little bit more extreme, then that's when you'd be looking into if there's anything else going on. Yeah, of course. And so the final piece of advice that I have for PMS is that if you are seeing a counselor or a psych, I encourage the people that I work with to be really strategic for when they're booking in their sessions. So if you are able to book in with your counselor or your psych during your luteal phase or after ovulation so that you're seeing them at a time when you are potentially going to become symptomatic in terms of PMS. I think that's a really smart decision because we all know before we ovulate, like everything's easy breezy. Like you go to your counselor and you're like, life's good. Everything's fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. And so be strategic when you're actually booking in those sessions. Yeah. I think that's such good advice. Right. Yeah. Even if you're someone like me that's on medication, I think I shared in the last episode that I didn't know I was getting my period. I was like, oh my God, my medication's not working. Mm. But good time to see psychologists. Yes. Very good. So in our second ep, we talked a lot about period pain. And if you are tuning in to our pod for the first time, first of all, welcome. If period pain is something you experience, then I highly recommend having a listen to that episode because it was very insightful. Michelle, what tips do you have for us about easing period pain? 
So I really want to preface that we're talking about period pain that isn't associated with something like say endometriosis or something bigger that might be going on because I definitely don't want people that experience severe period pain that might have diagnoses of endometriosis to hear me say, you know, like don't drink cold drinks and I think that it's going to take your pain away. Yeah, That's not the case. I'm just trying to share practical lifestyle tips that can support people sort of like in their day-to-day life that will also help with period symptoms from a Chinese medicine perspective. Yeah. But in Chinese medicine, we don't like anything to be too cold. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it makes sense, right? So our body temperature sits around 36, 37 degrees. So in Chinese medicine, we want to keep our body temperature sitting at around 36, 37 degrees. Yeah. So we say in Chinese medicine that your spleen and your stomach are like a burning cauldron. And every time you eat something cold, you're putting out the fire. Yeah. So you're putting out the digestive fire and people will often tell me, oh yeah, after I eat a salad, I feel really bloated. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, because you're asking your body to work 10 times harder to warm up that food. Yeah. Whereas when you eat like a really nice slow cooked stew or like root vegetables, mashed potato, like you feel really good after you're like, yeah, it's such a good meal. So we really, really like things to be warm or hot in Chinese medicine to support period pain. I would recommend no cold drinks. Yeah. (laughs) To say this, I'm drinking a smoothie right now. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm not this like a holier than thou person over here, just like not (laughs) drinking any cold drinks, but you might find it beneficial to stop cold drinks, even just a week before your period. And when you're on your period Yeah, and having warm or room temperature water. Yeah. Living in Brisbane, everybody drinks ice cold water here. And I find it really problematic. <laughs> I'm like, how do I say this gently? You're like, stop doing that. Stop doing it. <laughs> Try. I just, I encourage people to be an open skeptic. Yeah. Be an open skeptic. Try switching your water from cold to room temperature or warm and try to avoid cold drinks in say the week leading up to your period and while you're on your period and notice if there's any difference. Warm water is better for everything, right? Like inflammation, digestion, Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I advise my patients is if you're going to eat a salad for lunch, then always have like a cup of either hot water or hot ginger tea to have with it. And we see this in a lot of Asian cultures, right? Like you've just been to Japan and you would know that with your meal, you're either drinking a hot tea or something like a miso soup. Yes, everything comes with miso soup. Yeah, exactly. So that's the warmth, which is going to aid digestion. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that makes so much sense. Yes, so no cold drinks on your period. And then the second thing is no cold activities on your period. (laughs) So swimming... Ice baths, like, please, everybody listening to this, never do an ice bath on your period. You can do it at other times of your cycle (laughs) if you really, really, really want to, but absolutely not on your period, like while you're menstruating. Because in Chinese medicine, we say that when you're menstruating, your cervix is open, right? Like everything is open to release the blood. Yeah. And so cold can invade. Yeah. And we never want the uterus to be cold. We always want the uterus to be warm. Yeah. And so swimming or being exposed to cold temperatures while you're on your period in Chinese medicine, they say that that's going to potentially encourage cold to enter the uterus. Yeah. And the other thing with no cold to impact your uterus would be like sitting on cold concrete is a big no, no in Chinese medicine too. I 
remember when I was at the temple in China, I don't know how Shifu, who's, I guess Shifu was like master. I don't know how, but I would sit on concrete. He would be like kilometers away. Like, and he'd be like, Michelle, like get up. Like it's a big, no, no. Like you cannot, cannot, cannot sit on concrete. You cannot sit on cold chairs, like steel cold chairs. Um, They're all big no-nos. So you want to keep the uterus as warm as possible. So no cold drinks, no swimming, no ice baths on your period. And then encouraging a lot of warmth as well. So having a heat pack on and things like that. The next thing, is taking rest and not pushing through while you're bleeding. And just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. Yeah. So just because we can, you know, run a marathon on our period doesn't always mean that we should. Yeah. And in my experience, when the people that I work with begin to rest on their period, they start to notice that in general, their period symptoms become a little bit better. Yeah. So I always encourage on day one of your cycle, don't push through really honor your period as a time of turning inwards yeah. and see how you feel. Can I just say, I thought of you yesterday. I did. Okay. So I wasn't thinking this at the time, but like my day just like got a bit hectic. So I had an ice cold latte, decided I was going to go do a swim, quickly went to the pool, did a swim, was the worst swim I've ever done in my life. I had like no energy, no breath, but I pushed through. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is wrong with me? This is terrible. Got out, felt terrible. And then I was standing at the car waiting for Kev to pick me up. And I'm like, I've done everything that Michelle tells me not to do. And it just all entered my brain. I was like, I have my period. I've had a cold drink. I've gone in a cold pool and I've pushed myself too hard. Had you eaten breakfast? No. Yeah. <laughs> I had no, I didn't have time to eat properly. And then I came home and I had this is just all I had a Vietnamese salad for dinner and then I had ice cream and then I've woken up today and I when you walked into my house I said Michelle I feel like shit and now I'm sitting here with you and I'm having a peppermint tea and I feel better Better. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god literally just having realizations as we speak (laughs) Look, I definitely don't want to be this like dogmatic person that tells everybody that they can't (laughs) do things. I don't want to be the fun police. No. But the other important thing is nourishing yourself and eating before exercise. You know, I have this conversation all the time. Some people say to me all the time, you know, oh, I'm, I'm just way better in the afternoon. I've got yeah. so much more energy in the afternoon. Yeah. I think I'm just an afternoon person. I'm yeah. like, cool, what do you eat in a day? Well, I skip breakfast yeah. and I have lunch around one o'clock and yeah. then at two o'clock I'm on fire. <laughs> And I'm yep. like, okay. This is me. I, I do all my work at night. I'm a night owl, guys. Yes. So yeah. I'm like, well, what if we started nourishing the body earlier yeah. in the day? So eating breakfast by 9 a.m. Yeah. It's like you've taken your car to the petrol station <laughs> and you've filled up with gas. Yeah. And you can go on your journey. Whereas if you're not eating breakfast till sort of 12 o'clock or one o'clock, you've got no gas in the tank. Like where where do you expect your energy to come from? I know, I know. I said this, actually I got in the car and I was like, oh, I feel terrible. And Kev's like, well, you haven't eaten. You've been running around all day. Didn't sleep the night before. It was just a really bad mix. Oh, you poor love. I shouldn't have gone for a swim. I also just want to preface, I don't always do all of this stuff. You know, like I'm drinking a smoothie now. My period came on Wednesday and it was such a crazy day. I was back to back from 1 till 8 p.m. So I probably had 
18 people in the clinic on Wednesday. Wow. And you and I had a meeting that morning. I had a meeting with another person that morning. So literally the worst day for my period because I hardly had time to eat. I was so dizzy. Like I actually thought I was going to faint at one point. And I got to the end of the night and I was like, Michelle, you have not practiced what you preach today. And like, it's showing, like I felt so depleted and so exhausted. Yeah. So I know it's hard work and I don't expect people listening to all of a sudden write all of this information down and go out and change everything about their lives. But I hope that you pick up a few little changes that you can make that might contribute to greater change in your period. Yeah. So the next tip that I have, if you do experience period pain is acknowledging the pain, but also acknowledging that you're safe. So I'll often give my patients a mantra to use at home. And so if they are experiencing pain in their body to say, I'm safe and my body is always on my side, because that language that we use with ourselves is really, really, really important when it comes to pain physiology in the body. Yeah. So acknowledging your pain, of course, but then acknowledging that you're safe and that you're okay and that your body isn't out to get you is another thing that I recommend. Uh, Gentle movement. So one of my favorite things to do when I have period pain is to um, come into a low bridge position. So laying on your back, your feet will be planted on the ground, knees are bent, and then slowly lifting the pelvis. And then you can actually do this with a hot water bottle on your belly. So you can do a, a bridge with a hot water bottle on your belly, and then you can slowly do really, really, really slow and considered pelvic tilts. That's one of my favorite ways to encourage blood flow through the pelvis. Yeah. Avoiding high intensity exercise on your period and opting for like gentle walking, maybe a Pilates class where you don't go as heavy as you would normally go, slow flow yoga, things like that. Yeah. So gentle movement is encouraged just to support that blood flow through the pelvis but I'm definitely not a fan of high intensity exercise or doing really, really depleting forms of exercise while you're bleeding. And the reason why is, I think I've mentioned it before, is the supply and demand of blood in the body. Yeah. So in Chinese medicine, we have this concept of blood. Blood is nourishing. It's so important for every physiological process in the body. And just like in an economy, we have supply and demand. So we always want to ensure that our supply is meeting the demand. And so a lot of the tips that I've given already, like the beef liver capsules, the bone broth, et cetera, is going to contribute to the supply of blood. And then things like heavy bleeding are going to contribute to the demand. And so because your menstruation is a highly demanding event on our body's blood, so our demand of blood increases, we really want to make sure that we're supplying the body with enough blood to meet that demand. And so we don't want to further contribute to the demand of blood while we're on our period because it's already an inherently demanding event. So that's why we would want to avoid something like a really depleting form of exercise because that chews up our blood. Yeah. Overwork chews up our blood. Yeah. Stress chews up our blood. So that's why I encourage rest as much as possible because your body is already working so hard. Yeah. The 
physiological process of cramping, of like getting the blood out of the body is muscular. Yeah. And so if you are sending all of your blood to your biceps and your calves and not to your reproductive organs to actually facilitate the process of menstruation, then you're not setting yourself up for success. Yeah. So I remind my patients that your uterus is literally contracting. Yeah. It's muscles that are doing that contracting. And we want to send our energy, send our focus to those muscles to facilitate menstruation not put our body into such a demanding um, state where it's spread too thin. That makes so much sense. (laughs) I use these analogies oftentimes about workplaces. Yeah. So imagine that your period is a company event. You're an events manager. You've literally had to put on a company-wide huge event. Yeah. And on the very same day, your boss is like, hey, I also need you to run an event for a hundred people on the other side of town. Oh my God. And you're like, no, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not resourced for that. Yeah. I don't have enough resources. This is what we're doing today. But in the body, we do that all the time, right? Like where we under-resource ourselves, we undernourish ourselves and we put so much demand on ourselves. So it's no doubt that we, we have so many people in our society that are really struggling with things related to their menstrual cycle. Yeah. And then if you do have cramps with your period, and again, this is, you've looked into other things and this is just kind of like run of the mill period cramps. You might find that magnesium is helpful and I really like magnesium baths. So you can have a magnesium bath on your period because it's nice and warm and the magnesium might support some of those symptoms of cramping. And then obviously I'm an acupuncturist. It's what I do for a living. You might find acupuncture acupuncture helpful for some of those symptoms, including cramping. Yeah. I've just never, ever thought of, I think that that is such a good way to explain it the way that you just have as like your body is actually working hard to cramp and get rid of that blood. Like I've never even thought that that's what Totally. My body's doing, I just have these cramps. I'm like, oh my God, this is so annoying. Yes. But I'm never like, oh, this is actually my body working really hard and allowing the space for it to do that. Yes. I just like take some Panadol and go on my merry way yes. and just like push it aside rather than acknowledging like I'm in pain and this is what my body's doing and I need to rest. Yes. Imagine if we took the cramps as a sign from our body that it needed support. Yes. Because we actually, we do exactly what you described. We take some Ponstan or whatever it is that we're taking and yeah. we just push through. Yes. And I think if we look at it from like a societal level, so often we just push through. Yeah. There are so many situations in life where we just push through. Yeah. And I'm a big believer that when we do things on a micro level, they start to have a ripple effect into other areas of our life. Yeah. And so if you can take something as simple as your period and instead of pushing through, you actually stop and you kind of take stock and you listen to your body Yeah. and you think, okay, what does my body need in this moment? And truly tune in and it's okay. I'm experiencing cramps. I'm in pain. I am safe. Yeah. My body is always looking out for me. What does my body need right now? Maybe it needs me to go lay down on the floor. Yeah. Do 15 minutes of gentle stretching. Yeah. Take a magnesium bath. See how I feel after. Yeah. And then having that practice in your menstrual cycle. So having that practice of listening to your body, resisting the urge or like the pressure to just push through and deal 
that may just have a ripple effect into other areas of your life. Yes. So that when your boss is being a prick to you, instead of just pushing through, you say, hold on, I've done this before. Yeah. What would happen if I actually stopped, listened to myself? What do I need in this situation? Actually, I'm going to put a boundary up here and that's going to be it. The whole time you were saying that, I was just like, this can really be applied to like learning how to deal with relationships in your life. Like, stop, this is making me feel like this. Normally I would just let this happen. Mm-hmm. and keep feeling like this and then feel worse. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's why I think that how you engage with your menstrual cycle can change your life. And that's so true. Like I feel like that's the same with anything when you listen to yourself, which people just don't. And our generation of women, Al, we got our periods and we were told to shut the, shut them off. Yeah. And we were told not to really engage with our periods Literally in any way. shut them off. Like yeah. take the pill and skip the sugar pill so that you don't even have your period. Exactly. Like it, not necessary, just yeah. an inconvenient part of being a woman. Yeah. And I really, really think there's an opportunity for this new generation of young people that have a period to have an opportunity to learn about how to listen to their bodies yeah. and to actually understand what's going on in their bodies and not to simply shut things down and to avoid and all of the things that sort of we grew up with. Yeah. Okay, so thank you. That was all incredible. <laughs> I feel like there's so much everyone's going to get from that, even just like not about their periods. So we have a question from our community that came into our DMs this week, which we're excited about and can't wait to answer. And if anyone else has any questions, just like keep putting them in our DMs. So this message was, Hey girls, I'm loving the pod so far. I have an 11 year old daughter and I know some of her friends are getting their periods at the moment. Uh, When is a normal age for girls to get their period these days? Yeah. So I get asked this question all the time and I think, well, I don't think it's well documented that young people are getting their periods earlier. Yeah. And so I think our generation, it was quite normal or usual to get your period around 14. Yeah. So in the US, the data that I got was, was from the US, the average age of menarche or a girl's first period is now 12. Yeah. And that is down from 14 a century ago, which is really interesting. Yeah. And so there's a few theories or schools of thought as to why people are getting their periods earlier. This is more a an American set of data. One of the theories is bigger bodies. Yeah. And so having bigger bodies is going to change uh, the hormonal profile of a person. And so that could be a reason why people are getting their periods earlier. But the main theory is environmental and um, endocrine disrupting chemicals and things like that. Yeah. So there are a lot of chemicals that are used in our lives that we don't even really know about. Yeah. I think the obvious ones that often people are like, oh, you gotta go, you gotta go low tox for your hormones. And it's like, you can't wear perfume, you can't wear your makeup, you can't wear whatever. The all of the chemical laden things that we have. Yeah. Which by the way, there are awesome alternatives if you do want to look to going low tox. But there's also chemicals like in our couches and just in our environment in general. And so that's probably the strongest theory as to why 
people are getting their periods earlier. Yeah. But to answer this person's question, what I'm seeing clinically at the moment is 11 seems to be the age where a lot of people are getting their period. Yeah. And it's becoming more common to have it a little bit earlier. Yeah. That's not to say that if you have a daughter or a child that is going to go through puberty soon and you're expecting them to have a period soon, that it might be totally normal for that person to have their period at say, you know, age 14 and generally delayed puberty is considered when you haven't had a period by the age of 15 yeah. or they haven't showed signs of puberty or secondary sexual characteristics like breast development and things like that. Yeah. It's so interesting that this person sent us a DM because I was literally just the other day talking to one of my closest friends, her daughter just got her period a few months ago. Uh, she's 10, which is something I'm seeing amongst like a lot of my friend's daughters. It's 9, 10, 11. So she got her first period and then hasn't had one since. So that was three months ago. Is that something that she should be concerned about or that's quite... Yeah, that's pretty normal. So even if menstruation starts, ovulation hasn't necessarily begun yet. Yeah. And so I would say it's quite normal in those early years for periods to be irregular, they're just starting to learn how to drive the car. Yeah. You know, it's like they're just getting that connection between the brain and the reproductive organs is just beginning. And so it's pretty normal to see periods being irregular in those first few years, but you would want to keep an eye on it as they get older. All right. So thank you so much for tuning in to the Periodical Pod. We believe that having this information is so valuable and we want to share it with as many people as possible. So if you feel the same, the best way to get the word out about our show is to share an episode with your friends or post uh, on your Instagram story. That's a really great way to get everyone to see it. So don't forget to follow us on Instagram. We're at the Periodical Pod and subscribe on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an app. And don't forget that you are powerful, strong and kind, period.